Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. We're talking to Joel B. New, which I think is an excellent name. Uh, <laughs> he contacted Cindy through her webpage, which she's super excited about. So we've never actually met him. But the more research I did on him, the more excited I was to talk to him today. He is a composer, lyricist, book writer, producer, educator, and performer, uh, and a proud recipient of the American Theater Wing Jonathan Larson's grant and Max John Wallowich's award for his songwriting. And some of your songs I was listening to, so catchy, and the lyrics are hilarious. The uh, There's one about a, somebody dancing all night, a dead lady. Yeah, uh, the corpse danced at midnight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thought that was hilarious and good timing considering uh, it's the beginning of October and Halloween's coming up. Uh, Joel has been uh, praised as one of today's most exciting contemporary musical theater writers whose songs are abound with charm and a warm delicacy. Very nice. I like the wording. Thank you. I'm, I'm <laughs> proud of that. Uh, he also had a podcast for five years called Something New, which you can still find on iTunes and other places podcasts are. Um, and you were named one of the top 20 podcast uh, for theater fans by Broadway World, which uh, excellent. Yeah. That's super exciting. That was a, I, yeah, it was a huge honor. Um, and I mean, and like to like to toot your horn a little bit. Uh, that's how I. That's some somewhat somewhat similar to how I found you. You know, I was googling like theater pod like popular theater podcasts, and I forget which website I found you on, but like you're you're on a list somewhere. I think, uh, Cindy, what was the one you talked to Sally? Well, she was one, but there was another one that came out soon after that that was like top 10 technical theater podcasts or something. Yeah. That... Well, that is specific. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's why I... make a I, list somehow. Exactly. Well, that's why I wanted to start it because so many people talk to performers and I was like, we need to talk to the people who are not performing because there's lots of us. <laughs> yes. Yes, there are. And then one of the, the main reasons we have you on right now is because you have a show coming up um, this Saturday, October 6th, uh, called Joel B. Joel B. New is Trying Too Hard, which your Instagram posts regarding that are excellent. I love all the picture flashbacks from different years, um, which is <laughs> yes. going to be at the Green Room 42 in New York City. So welcome to the podcast. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Stacey and Cindy. I'm thrilled to be on here and to meet you and to, to talk about all the things yeah because you've been doing tons of stuff your website like f i was on there forever just like oh what does this do oh i want to listen to that music so excellent uh <laughs> so one you, of the yeah. questions we usually start with is how did you get into theater like did you start writing did you start in theater and move into writing did you start with music uh well i started as a performer you know i was you know i did musical theater as a kid I was a theater kid. Uh, my first production was a community theater production of Oliver. And I was 10 and I was Oliver. Nice. And yeah. Start small, I so, see. Just start with, yeah. right with the lead so character. So I was like, like just, just start right there. And uh, so I set the bar pretty high for myself. 
<laughs> and um, just kind of kept with that. And you know, took voice and dance lessons. And, you know, I went to college for musical theater performance at Oklahoma City University. Um, and it was while I was there getting my Bachelor of Music that I realized that I had an aptitude for writing songs and that I liked it. And it seemed to be calling me a little bit louder, even though I'd been pursuing acting for, you know, a, a, over a decade. Um, so then I moved to New York and uh, got my master's in musical theater writing from NYU. And I have been here ever since. So have you done any music writing before that? Because I don't play any instruments or anything like that. I did. I started, I, um, I started piano when I was 12. Um, and I wrote, I took music theory in high school. So I like, I wrote some choral work very, you know, very loosely. And then it wasn't until college where, you know, it was, it was a lot of music theory classes and ear training. Um, then I started taking private uh, music composition lessons. Wow. That's I really didn't even cool. know that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I hadn't really heard of it either until I went to college and there were people there majoring in music composition and I approached the professor, Dr. Edward Knight. And I was like, I was like, I think I want to try this and listen to my stuff. And he tutored me privately and for free on his free time. Um, very wow. generous. And that was at, that was at Oklahoma city or at NYU? Yeah, that was Oklahoma city university. Yeah. So then okay. he helped prepare me with like my grad school application. And, and then I, I got in and been here ever since. So did you nice. actually get, Composition at uh, Oklahoma City as well, or is it just a generalized BFA? Um, it was just it was a it's a BM, a Bachelor of Music. Yeah. So I got uh, a, a BM in musical theater performance, um, and with a minor in piano. And then and then uh, went to NYU for that. And then I went to NYU. Yeah. Got it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, and that you went out so, to New York and stayed there because a lot of people jump back and forth so much in the first couple of years. Oh yeah, well I'm I'm uh, I'm a Taurus. I'm very stubborn. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> once I decide what I'm going to do, I do it no matter what. And I also knew myself pretty well that if I didn't go right into grad school after undergrad, I'm the kind of person that probably wouldn't go back. So yeah. I just plowed right through and you know and had a master's at 24. That's exactly what I did. I was yeah. like, if I take a break, there's no way I'm doing this again. So I might as well just get it all done with. Just keep going. All at once. Yeah. So do you mostly write for piano or all instruments? I'm always curious about people who are so talented that they know how to write for like every instrument out there. What if you're a piano? Sorry, words are not. Words are not coming to me. I just finished a long tech. Um, is your primary instrument piano that you write on? And then do you also do uh, like charts and stuff for guitar and other instruments? Or do you hear it all in your head kind of together first? That's a great question. Um, you know, I would say that I write for voice first. Ah, um, interesting. Okay. You know, but, you know, my training in music theory is pretty deep and my training in piano. So like most of the time I'm writing music at the piano but the first thing I write usually is you know the structure of the song the structure of the story and then lyric and then from lyric I go to song 
and then I then I keep kind of keep going back and forth with music and lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly at the piano. I took up guitar a couple of years ago. Um, so I have written some stuff on the guitar. I took up the ukulele about two years ago. <laughs> and that's then, a new thing. I just did an opera that has some ukulele in it. So oh, yes, it's very uh, it's very trending right now. So yeah. that's that's really fun to play with. Um, I play. I dabble. I don't even want to say like I dabble in cajon. Do you guys know what that instrument is? No. No. It is, it's a drum that you sit on and you like, you strike it like on the front. So like between your legs. Hmm. So yeah. it's facing sideways. So you're not hitting the side of the drum. You're hitting the front of the drum. You're sitting on it kind of laying down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, okay. um, it's like a rectangle that you're sitting on top of and like a hollow rectangle. Interesting. And what is that? What's, yeah, where does that come from? The cajon. Um, I don't even want to pretend that I know where that's from. <laughs> so everyone's going to have to Google it when they're listening. Yeah, when I try cajon, it just gives me cajon, like, pass? Is that the same thing? Like, oh, it C- is. C- yeah, C-A-J-O-N. Yes. Originally from Peru. There you go. Peru. Can you nice. edit it so it sounds like I knew that it was yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm sure you can this do came that. From Peru. <laughs> it's from Peru. You just say played by slapping the front and rear faces. Yes. Yeah, and it is rectangular. That's very weird. I've never seen one of those. What, so then it's how really did cool. you get into that? Um, one of my really good friends, Jessica Winderweedle, um, who plays it, and she played in many of my concerts, like in small venues where there wasn't a full drum set or if my music didn't really call for cymbals and things like that. It's just like, it's a really nice, cool vibe because it's just it's keeping time it's it's a really cool element and it's a you know it's a pretty affordable instrument to pick up it doesn't take up a lot of space like an entire drum set exactly and it can be used as a chair when you're entertaining that's perfect yeah and in new york i mean you know uh, cindy you must understand you know new york (laughs) everything's a chair (laughs) right well, if you have to carry it, if you have to carry it up and down the subway stairs, like you want something small, you need to play oh, yeah. the viola because that's the easiest <laughs> thing to carry. Yeah, my concert has a like an upright bass and a cello in it, and I just oh. I'm I feel so sorry for them. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm asking yeah, them to like come to rehearsal and then come to the sound check and come to the concert. Um, but they're great; they're fantastic. And then half the time they're like. I don't want to leave this here. This is really expensive. Now I have to carry it back and forth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, bass player I know says he just spends like half his paycheck on um, like Lyft and Uber drivers because he's like, it's just safer that way. Oh yeah. I, I believe it. You just, so yeah. I, so I play, I, I start usually at the piano with words and music. Um, you know, I do write charts, you know, with the mm-hmm. chord symbols and things like that. Um, more often than not, I'll have, I like for this concert, for example, I have two different arrangers that I'm working with, Josh D. Smith's birthday today, and Scott Wasserman. And they are terrific. And they just kind of like listen to what my vision is. And more often than not, I'll have a demo already um, that either I've put together or I've had friends record. Or it's been in concerts before. So like I, t- I keep very close records of how the song has been performed in the past. And huh. then I can 
relay that uh, to my arrangers. That's, I was going to ask the question, like if you have a librettist you work with or something, but for you, I guess you create the, the base of it and then you just have somebody who, like you said, helps arrange it. It's yeah. very different than opera. Is that right? Well, traditionally in, in opera, which is mostly what I've done lately, is like you have a librettist and you have a, a composer and they work together. And sometimes like the words come first and then the music or vice versa, but they almost always like work as a team, especially in the newer pieces. But <laughs> Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I have a couple of projects where I'm like just on lyrics. Um, mm -hmm. So I do work with teams, uh, but for this project, for this specific concert which hopefully will become a subsequent album uh it's all my music and my lyrics that's wonderful yeah. so and this outsource the other stuff because i don't know how to write for cellos or guitars or any of that stuff it would just like it would just be like quarter notes just like, mm, mm, like, <laughs> yeah, like this is a chord would, progression just make this work <laughs> yeah it would be very very basic so i'd, I'd rather the, let the the people who are good at it do it so then mm -hmm. do you know, like, in this song, I want the cello and the bass and a harp? Or do you give, like, how do you decide what instruments are in what song or where they play? Or Well, it depends on, it depends on the project or the song, or sometimes it, more than often than not, it depends on the budget. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. Harpists yeah. are expensive. True. Yes, yes. Uh, but I mean, like, the, like... The story dictates everything. And so I've got, I have a musical called Mackenzie and the Missing Boy, which takes place in the 1930s. And so all the music is very evocative of that time period. Um, so the instrumentation always, you know, default, defers to that. Like, you know, with piano and drums, upright bass, and uh, a little bit of brass and stuff like that. And I've got a- so Much more jazzy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause that, that one's based in jazz, right? Yes, yeah, that, that she's uh, a based in jazz. Yeah, I... yeah. Um, but this piece, um, you know, I'm working with a director, Robbie Roselle, and he introduced me to the arranger, Josh D. Smith, and we just kind of went back and forth. And he's like, "All right, well, it sounds like you need six instruments," and we picked what those six would be, and um, and then off he went to um, arrange the music with those six instruments in mind. Not that he used all six. Of, musicians in every song but um but it kind of like helps limit him uh to create the the musical sound for the concert mm -hmm. so then how much back and forth did you guys do like how long have you been preparing for this concert several months i mean i had the idea for it late last year um in 2016 i released my first album called cabot cove which is on broadway records and I wanted to, one of my 2018 goals was to start developing my second album. And it came to me last year. I was, I was like, well, it's definitely called Joel B. New is Trying Too Hard. <laughs> Which I think we can all relate to and just, you know, kind of like, like make fun of ourselves a little bit. Um, it's like we're all, we're all trying so hard. Just to, really trying to keep it together. Yeah. Just to keep Very it together true. and, you know, get our work out there and like make a name for ourselves and just to be heard and to be seen and to do it so like as unobnoxiously as possible in this day and <laughs> age of social media and mm -hmm. everyone trying to sit at the table. And 
you know, I truly believe there's plenty of room at the table, but I feel like you, you still have to be really loud um, to, to get heard over the, the din. I'm not sure if today's world or 50 years ago was easier or harder because now we can reach so many more people with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and everything like that. But it's Even also, like our cell phones. Yeah, but it's also so open that everybody's doing it. You're constantly getting information and when you're in theater and you, you know, every time you do a new show, you become friends with all those new people. And so your group is constantly growing. It's just constant feed of what people are doing and everyone trying to get out there and get their name known. Whereas 50 yeah. years ago, you didn't have any of that. People knew your name because a newspaper wrote an article about you. But they were still yeah. out there trying to get their name known. It was just not a constant 15 pictures on Instagram every day just so people keep you in their memory. Yeah. No, it's, it was definitely a different kind of hustle, I would imagine. Yeah. But, so what did, hustle nonetheless. What's that? Yeah. What did you use or how, how do you get your name out there? You had the podcast that you did uh, for a number of years. You have a very active Instagram account. So what have you done to promote yourself? And what do you think has worked for you? Ooh, man, if I knew the answer to this, <laughs> like everybody again, would be would, knocking down your door. I would be <laughs> begging people to see my show. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, um, the podcast was a great avenue for me um, because like I've always liked the podcast medium and radio drama and things like that um, have always spoken to me. And it was a great way for me to get my work out there on a consistent basis because like you know like we we all you know I don't make a lot of money and I certainly can't afford to like self-produce every concert that I want to do and mm -hmm. you know so back I mean like I can afford to like do something like twice a year um, but the podcast which was relatively free uh, was an avenue for me to get my voice and my face out there like pretty consistently um, so then it was all like leading up to something, which would be like be like this culminating concert at the end or the album came out or anything like that. So like that was a really good avenue for me. And, and like it, it opened a lot of doors and um, definitely my largest audience to date. So like it's it's a nice thing that I have on my resume now. And some people, you know, know what it is. And that's nice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I dedicate, you know, I don't like social media. I really don't. Um, Instagram is my preferred method of it. So I've really focused on that. And I try to post at least once a day. I mean, I read all the articles of like, how to increase your listenership and your viewership and yeah. all yeah. those kinds of things. And, you know, like on this day, you should post a quote. And this day, you should post a picture of your food. You know, like, it's all... <laughs> I was reading one of those the other night and they're like, watch it. And when uh, you have the highest number of people that are watching you or online at a certain time period, you should post more during that time period. And I'm like, I don't have time to pay. I, I post when I'm doing something, not during a specific time period. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting. So I don't know how, I don't know how I'm doing it. I mean, you know, it's just when it happens, it's, it's really just like a happy accident. Um, <laughs> Except for, I mean, except for this case, I will give a shout out to um, my friend Mark Moriello, who um, is actually hand helping me with the marketing of this concert. So, like, like he knows 
that I hate doing it. And so I approached him and he's helping me. Like he helped build the ads and campaigns that are on Facebook and Instagram that I'm paying for. Um, but I don't have to watch those. So he's watching those for me, which is nice. Yeah, that's a, it's right. great to have other people. That's how, like, there's three of us working on this podcast <clears throat> because it takes me and Cindy to find people and interview people. And then my husband edits and does the websites and watches how iTunes is going and things like that. And then I'm constantly right. trying to, like, push on Instagram and market. And then Cindy talks to people about it and comes up with ideas. And, like, it's three of us. And it's still, like, a full-time job trying to just promote a podcast. Yeah, and you have your other jobs. Like I, I have yeah. three other jobs, and and this. Very. Yeah. It's, it's constant work. Yeah, I don't know how people yes. do it all the time. I uh, don't know. <laughs> so while you interviewed other people, uh, it seems you, and I think I said it earlier. The podcast was called Something New, and you yes. spoke to mainly musicians. And uh, performers, were they mostly people around the New York area? Or how did you do, you performed, like at the end of the year, you got a bunch of them back together and did like a party celebration thing. So were there mostly people around New York area who could attend or or how did, how did you get people and do that? Well, it definitely evolved. You know, the first season was mostly friends who were within walking distance of my apartment um, that I knew and loved and respected, and I knew they would have a unique point of view. Because, uh, like, the the idea was, like, I was talking to, like, musical theater performers who also did something else, which is, mm-hmm. like, almost everybody now. Like, everyone's a multi-hyphenate. Yeah, um, yeah, but, you have to for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea, like, it was, you know, I just, I needed that, uh, like, catch in my show. I was, I was like, if I just interview people, like, that's not enough. Like, I needed to have, like, some kind of, like, gimmick, I guess, is mm-hmm. on a better, lack of a better word. Um, so, yeah, the first season was, like, a lot of friends, and then it became, like, friends of friends, and then friends of friends of friends, and, um, <laughs> you know, and then I just started, I started to actually, like, my fourth season, I started to reach out to, like, Broadway press agents, and, you know, shows off-Broadway and Broadway, and being like, hey, do you have anybody in your ensemble who identifies as a multi-hyphenate you know i'd be happy to interview them yeah you know i didn't get a lot of bites i didn't get a lot of bites but i got a few and you know i got to interview two people from the cast of significant other which was on broadway two a season or two ago and that was really cool yeah the one i listened to uh one of the ones was he was the director for death west's um spring Spring awakening Awakening. yeah michael which i yeah, I remember when that was out, but I didn't get to see it. So it was very interesting listening to the interview about he didn't start in the deaf world and they reached out to him and now he he really relates to it and he is very fluent. He's uh, fluent in it and it's like, oh, that's super cool. Like, it's always cool to see where people start and where they go and how they get there. And most of the time it's like a happy accident and <laughs> that's where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just make sure you're make sure you're paying attention and listening to those moments, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's constant. Um, yeah, but most of, most I, of my most of my guests were in New York, but you know, I had, you know, I had some, I had an interview in Paris, and I had one in Canada. Um, so yeah, I, I branched out a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. I have two questions. So, which I know. Uh, 
when you write songs, do you ever write them for a specific person in mind, like with their vocal range? Or do you just write the song and then find somebody that you think will sing it well? Um, both, for sure. Um, you know, I do write songs for myself. So obviously I have my, my voice in mind. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, I write stuff, especially if, you know, if, if, a, if a performer seems to be along for the ride, um, like my friend Nika Graf Lanzaroni, I've, you know, I've started to write Mackenzie for her, like with her voice and with her personality in mind, uh, now that she's been attached to it and has done the last several readings and performances, um, she'll be in the show on Saturday as well. Um, but I mean, then it becomes a back and forth. Like once, you know, I'll, I'll write a version of a song, like I'm working on one right now for a different concert. And the singer and I got together for the first time, like yesterday. And during that rehearsal, I was, I was like, oh, okay, well, we need to change the key. And there were a couple of moments where it was like, oh, well, this, like this melody could go either way. And I was like, why don't you just sing it? And whatever comes out naturally, that will be the melody. You know, Mm -hmm. like I really, I really, I trust singers more than I trust myself sometimes. Um, Because if they, if they sound good and feel good, then I look good. Right. (laughs) It's a joint effort. To make it work with, sorry, to make it work within their vocal range and within how they feel it. Yeah, like I always ask, like what? Because like I wrote a lot of the songs for the podcast with my guests in mind, and so I would ask things like, "What is your music style? What's the kind of music that you like listening to? What's what sort of song is like missing in your audition book? What are your money? What are your money notes? You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that." And for the most part, I think I was pretty successful at um, figuring putting that out all the pieces stuff. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my job. So then going along with that, with these concerts, especially this concert coming up this weekend, are those, all the guests that you have coming in, are they people that you've already worked with or are they new people who have not sung any of your songs before? How did you find your, your guest artists? Oh, this was, it was, it, it was an, it was a endeavor. Let me tell you. Um, (laughs) It was, it was hard to pick to get this cast together. Um, A lot of them are people that I know and have worked with before, but. I would say the majority of them I've known and admired from afar, but have never worked with. So like, it's a, it's a lot of fresh faces to the, uh, the Joel B. New family, um, which I'm really excited about because most of the songs um, have been performed live in concerts before, um, but just not by these people. So like, you'll be hearing like brand new interpretations of a, a lot mm-hmm. of like my favorite songs. That's also great That's because really it gets your name out there and more people are listening to it and hearing about it. And, you know, because friends tell friends and friends go see friends in shows and, and it spreads that way. So that's really cool that people you haven't, you know, it's not just, oh, Joel pulled all of his same friends to the same concert. It's like, oh, look, a whole new group of people singing cool songs. Yeah. I mean, and it's very, it's, you know, you know, egotistically speaking, like it's very validating to me, like have a whole group of people who have, I've not worked with before say yes. I mean, you know, it's always nice to get a yes. Yeah, that's always excellent. And then to hear people seeing your song um, slightly differently because no two people sing it the same. So how is that to you? You don't get like attached to a song and be like, no, you have to sing it this specific way. Or do you like to hear how different artists interpret your music? I love hearing artists interpret my music differently. As long as, because you can tell if someone has studied the song before and so like they know 
they know how the song quote unquote goes before they kind of start playing and experimenting with experimenting with it and making it their own. Um, you know, I've had experiences where people have mimicked other people. They, they, they saw the version of the song on YouTube and they did what they did. And I'm like, I'm like Oh, well, that's not really what I wrote. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, it's, it's a, I love hearing what other people do with my work. You know, like the first thing I say when we get into the room, you know, I've been in rehearsals these last two weeks is I was like, this is your song now. How can we make this the best song for you? And so sometimes that means changing keys. Sometimes that means just like slowing it down. Sometimes that means, you know, rearranging it a little bit, adding measures, um, or just like finding a different reason for the song to exist. You you have... Uh... You've done a song cycle, you've done complete plays, you've done concerts. Is there a preference or is it just kind of where you are at that state in your life where you just need to tell a specific story or just have a song cycle which still tells a story but doesn't have like the words and necessarily much more of a plot? Just how do you jump between them or figure out if it wants to be a plot play or a song cycle? Sure. Um, the projects that I've picked so far, um, you know, out of grad school, you know, I had, I had like my thesis musical, which was uh, a, an adaptation of Awakening by Kate Chopin that I wrote uh, with Jay Navarro. And we're still working on it. And we brought on another collaborator, Jenny Stafford, who are fantastic. And I love that piece. Um, but I had spent the majority of grad school writing either lyrics or music, um, not writing both. And I knew that that was an important part of my career that I wanted out there. And so quickly out of grad school, I just started writing solo songs in different styles and for different types of people. And I was like, I need to put this together and like make it a thing. So that's kind of how the song cycle started, um, just out of necessity. Um, you know, and the other stories, like I've always been, like, I love Greek mythology. Orpheus and Eurydice has, has always been a, f- a favorite story of mine. And the idea of making it as like an album musical also s- spoke to me. I mean, like, and like the, it's more like the music excites me. Like, you know, I wanted like that emo sound from like the late 90s. And that combined with the story just kind of dictated the form like story always dictates dictates form for me and then with McKinsey so that was to Helen back and then with McKinsey um like I literally I I literally woke up in the middle of the night and like I had a dream about this woman named McKinsey and I had this whole story and I wrote it down and the next morning I like I woke up and I saw that I had written it down I was like all right I guess that's my next project (laughs) Did you remember it when you woke up the next morning or did you just like look at your look I at your book and be like, oh, look, I had a huge dry erase board on my wall at the time and I had written the plot out. Like and I woke up the next morning and it like said McKinsey and all these plot points. And I was like, I do remember having the dream. So it, it'd be a little creepy if you woke up not remembering any of that. It is just yeah, somehow yeah, you woke up to your be, own handwriting. That would be very creepy indeed. <laughs> Um, so that piece and, you know, and, and putting it in, putting it in the jazz age, because like, I love jazz and I've always wanted to write a uh, score in that style. So like 
again, like st- story and music, like dictated the form and, you know, and I, I like things that I can finish. And so things like albums, like Cabot Cove, I knew I could create from start to finish um, without a lot of, with, without too much outside, without needing too many yeses from the outside, if that makes sense. Yeah, you could write your own music and words and didn't have to necessarily thing. get a director and actors and a producer and set design and all that. Yeah, like you can do the thing and then invite people to be part of it. Like that's kind of been my journey ever since grad school is like making the thing and then inviting people to the party like instead of knocking on doors kind of like making building my own and cabot cove is the one that uh, is inspired by murder she wrote yes i'm very you, proud of this is it inspired by characters or inspired by specific episodes or just kind of all the above like how do you write how do you write theater pop songs inspired by Murder She Wrote? We used to watch that that show all the time growing up. Yeah, all oh, the time. Yeah. I'm probably gonna watch it as we go to bed later. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this project. So what it is? It's a collection of theater pop songs, which is like a phrase I coined, theater pop, and it's um collection of songs inspired by Murder She Wrote. And what I mean by that is the song titles like the corpse danced at midnight um was a title of a book that her character wrote on the series got it okay so are you a huge fan so this stuff just came to you naturally or you like researched and found things i am a huge fan of murder she wrote and angela lansbury dame angela lansbury and um yeah i just i wanted to create a, a project that was like solely me and that you know wasn't constricted or confined by, you know, this is a jazz show. This is a pop show. This is an art song show. Like just like whatever sounds came out were right. Cause they were me and authentic. And I wanted, I kind of wanted this to be my calling card that like sits on people's shelves or their music libraries. And um, like, this is like, if you want to know what Joel B. New sounds like, you should listen to Cabot Cove. Yeah. I've only heard that one song, but I'm thinking of getting the whole album. Right. I do think it, it's on, it. it's on, iTunes or how how do we how do we get the music? Yeah, so you can listen to Cabot Cove um, on my website joelbenu.com, or it's on iTunes, it's on Amazon, it's on Spotify, and it's on Pandora. Oh nice. great, I have Spotify. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good time. It's a really really good time. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, the one song was very funny. I listened well the clip it um, that was on your webpage, <laughs> and I was like, this is excellent. So thank you, thank you. Yeah, so like the the songs were inspired by the titles of her books, um, which I had like my podcast listeners vote on. Because like over the course of the twelve seasons, Murder She Wrote was on. Like her character wrote forty plus books. <laughs> so um, so I presented all forty plus titles to my podcast listeners, and I was like, which ones do you think should be songs? And they voted, and um, those were the song. Those were the titles I picked, and then I was I was allowed to make the songs whatever I wanted. Yeah, because it's it's all yours, so you could go anywhere with with that. Yeah, it was a fun challenge, for sure. That is so cool. Thank you, thank you. Also, the the, the connection, because Dame Angela Lansbury is a Broadway person, too, but she's mostly known for murder she wrote, except the theater people know her as, you know, Mrs. (laughs) um, What is it, Mrs. Lovitz? Mrs. Lovitz, yes, yes. 
yeah, I've yet to speak with her. I've gotten very close a couple of times, but um, not yet. Hopefully soon. Oh, I wonder if she knows. That would be hilarious. Because she should know all of those books and deeper meanings and stuff because she did all this, the episodes. You think? Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, her assistant knows. Her assistant knows about it. Nice. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if Dame Lansbury has been made aware yet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, I would so, be so excited if, if I was famous and people were writing things like that about me. I'd, I'd want to know. <laughs> I know, I know. Twin Does your new say? album have a have a story or a through line like that, or is it just uh, different songs that you are inspired by, or that? Uh, this, yeah. this one's going to be a little bit more traditional in the this is a songs of musical theater composer album. Got um, it. You know, with like a couple of quirks, and I'll be performing on a couple of them, but it'll be you know, a couple of fancy people singing my songs just to get those out there in a in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see you sure, have exactly. uh, the um, uh, sheet music and stuff online uh, for people yes. to look at. Where can people find like scripts if they want to? Has have any of your shows been fully produced? Fully produced. Well, sets and lights and costumes and things like that. Yeah, I um I had a production of <coughs> excuse me, I had a production of my musical. Agatha in the Attic uh, with Prospect Theater Company here in New York. That was a couple of Halloweens ago. Um, but other than that, most of my projects have been concert or uh, reading based. Nice. So you've gone through a couple of readings of them. And how much yeah. changes? I just did a new work, um, Tenor by Night, and it was supposed to be more of a workshop. But the people who wrote it are brand new to theater, and so it went from being written to fully produced show. How many workshops? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's big jump. <laughs> how many workshops and stuff? How much changes during that? Do you feel like it really helps you as a writer and composer to do the workshop to see what reads on stage or how people interpret it or what the audience reaction is? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because like you're not going to get those questions. Um, in the room by yourself like it's that um that monkey house syndrome like you know when you go into the monkey house in the zoo and you immediately it's like it's like oh it smells terrible in here and then like five minutes later you're like oh it's not that bad and then 10 minutes later you can't smell it at all yeah that uh, i like that, that <laughs> yeah tim gunn uh said that so i i borrow it from tim gunn um, so yeah, so if you're in the monkey house, you have no idea what it smells like. And so you need those people to come in and tell you, oh no, this smells bad, or I don't smell it either. Because you've been working on it for so long and it's so close to you that you yeah. no longer have the outside opinion because you're like, of course this is good. I just spent like hours and hours on it. I think it's very common in, in New York. I don't, I don't hear it happen very often in L.A., <laughs> But I've done a couple of workshops in New York City. Some just music stands and uh, a piano. I did one that was just a workshop of uh, act one of a piece. So they saw how it worked and how it didn't work. Uh, And I've done some workshops that were semi-staged. So people were up and moving around and there were a couple of props. So it all just depends, in my experience, on just the level of the piece and how far along in the process they are. But I don't really hear about it in L.A. 
Yeah, we don't do theater. We do movies. So <laughs> it all, it also depends on the rules of like what kind of reading it is. Because like if you're using like uh, equity actors, there are specific right. types of readings, um, like a 29 hour reading, or if it's a lab or an official work, full on workshop. Yeah, like, no, if it's a rules. If it's a concert version, then they don't have to memorize their music and they don't have to do costume changes and they can only do so many hours of rehearsal before the performance. Um, well, for the 29-hour reading, it's literally including performances, rehearsal and performances yep. is uh, 29 hours. Wow. And considering, yeah. That price. Try to do that with yeah. a two-act musical. It's intense. Yeah. Well, times I did it was only for like act one of something because that was about all the time that we had. But it was really awesome. And then they actually workshopped um, up at Syracuse University, this show that I did. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. Cool. So do you do it? All of your workshops and stuff are all out in New York because why pay travel to get somewhere else? And I mean, New York <laughs> has any actor or musician you can find. So. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I have... You know, I did do a performance of um, my song cycle at OCU um, a number of years ago. Um, you know, it, it's helpful to, like, have alma maters that support you and believe in your work. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I develop stuff here. But I'm not opposed to traveling or having my work seen and heard in other places. Yeah, some of it, um, it sounds so very like Agatha in the... In the addict is a smaller or shorter piece that's more of a comedy, but then yeah. uh, the missing boy or Mackenzie and the missing boy doesn't sound like a comedy at all. It sounds a lot more heavy and dramatic, and uh, I think that's the one that's a full two act long piece. Yeah. So quite varied on yeah. on what you do. I think so. I mean, like I'm I'm a funny person, um, so like there's always <laughs> comedy in, in things that I do. <laughs> Well, there has to be. If it's too dramatic the whole time, everyone leaves just feeling depressed and upset. There has to be some relief once in a exactly. while. No, there's definitely some levity in, in McKinsey as well, um, including some tap dancing. Um, Excellent. Some orphans, and there's some nuns, you know. <laughs> tap dancing orphans and nuns. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, and then a missing boy, point. all in jazz yes, style. And a missing boy. That's right. Okay, I take um, it back. Not dramatic at all. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's definitely some it's it's a melodrama so it's got very high highs and very low lows good keep people up and down and then they leave and they they're not depressed and upset exactly. not too much exactly. hopefully yeah but and even like to helen back is you know it's about grief it's you know it's about the grieving process and you know like the stages of grief show themselves in different ways throughout the show um but it's a it's still a celebration of life and there's a lot of positivity and optimism within the show as well. That's very important to me. Do you feel that these are all based on, uh, I don't know, based on yourself or things you're feeling? Or do you feel like some of them are quite detached from you as a person in an, I can't really, like being a person in an artist or, uh, sorry, terribly worded. <laughs> no, I, I, think they're, I think the artist and the person are the, the same. To, to you know to get a little heady um but i think that i mean there's definitely pieces of me in, in all of my shows like um to helen back for sure i mean it's 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 weird you know when we choose when these pieces choose us um 
where you are in life. Like I started to Helen back. I don't remember exactly when, but, um, but I felt a need to write it and I need, I felt this need to like study grief. And, um, so that's what the piece was kind of an exercise for me to like understand what grief was and how to process it. And, and then, um, a couple of years later, I lost my mom very unexpectedly. And, um, and the piece, the piece kind of helped me. You Cause know? you'd already studied it and went through it and had something to relate to in that way. I some, yeah. I had something to hold on to, you know, it didn't make, you know, it, it's not like I had already gone through the process. It was just, I, it kind of anchored me in a way. And so like, that's, a reason that I continue to work on that show because like I can still like I can tap I can access that and it helps me um you know other shows I just want to laugh I mean that's what Agatha in the Attic is it's just like a huge farce um <laughs> you know but I think mean, the older I get like the projects that I start it is important to me to make sure that I'm that there's a reason that I'm writing it instead of like well I guess you know, because like McKinsey is several years old now, and I, I keep re-answering the question: What is this about? Why? Why is this important? Why is the story important to you? Um, and that changes with the day sometimes. That's pretty cool, though. That it it it's not a story that in five years is going to be outdated or no longer interesting or important. I mean, that's what makes a good story: is that year after year, or generation after generation, uh, it can still have meaning and importance to people. Yeah. And like, it depends on who's in the room and who's listening to it. And, you know, people have asked, like, I really like this song. Is it about this? And is it secretly about this? And I'm, my answer is always like, yes, it is secretly about that. Like, it's about, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever you, you think, about, whatever you want it to be. Um, like, McKinsey has this newsboy that, you know, lies to sell papers. And someone was like, oh, is this, is this about fake news? And I was like, sure truth about fake news <laughs> that didn't exist when you wrote it but uh or that term no. but yeah sure no but let's let's go with that and let's see where that leads in the next draft yeah that's interesting because everyone reads their own stuff into it based on their own experience and knowledge and just lives so interesting because that definitely the fake news thing can go a long ways in today's world. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. The whole song has been re has been written about it now. So, <laughs> thanks to that definitely. one person who came to see the show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, we're getting a little close to the end. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's getting close to twins' bedtime. Or probably both of yours, since you're both out there in New York. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Me in the California, I'm like, yeah, I need to like get off work and drive home from L.A. So sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so we kind of warned you in the beginning. Oh, wait, first, um, your show is this weekend. Are there still yes. tickets and people can still come see your show? There are still tickets. They are selling fast. Um, now that it is the week of, people tend to wait till the last minute. All the time. Um, so, yeah. So, like, I'm not kidding when I say ticket sales doubled since yesterday. Like, great congratulations great. though that's excellent it's great yeah it feels great um so yeah Jolby new is trying too hard um i've got a dozen people from broadway and beyond performing alongside me uh with a six-piece orchestra um it took a village to make this piece um, i'm really really proud of it it's a whole night of just fun 
comedic songs, um, driving pop songs. I think only two ballads. So, um, <laughs> gotta get the love stories welcome. and ballads in once in a while. Gotta get the ballads in, but you know, only one or two, and then like 15 other songs that are not ballads. Um, it is a good time. Um, please come and support, uh, new work. It's, um, you can, if you use the code new five, uh, you get $5 off of your ticket. Um, nice. Green Room 42 has no food drink minimum, so it's pretty awesome. And it's a great new, uh, exciting venue in the city that people should check out. Uh, what was the discount on it's new? I've never heard of it. Yeah, they um they officially opened around Valentine's Day this year. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, it's in it's in the Yotel on 42nd and 10th. Um, it's good. It's, it's super cute. Yeah. Oh, I have so to please go. come, everyone. Please come. Yes. And then post pictures so we can so I can see because I, I obviously can't fly out there. I wish I could just jump back and forth, but going into tech. <laughs> <laughs> uh what was the, the discount code so we can I can post it all over the place? It is new five N E W five. New five discount. Yeah. No drink minimum, which is those drink minimums can get you sometimes. Oh my gosh. Sometimes you're paying twice the price. Yeah, exactly. Just and they can cover. Yeah. And I know at the top of your webpage if they go to your webpage at joelbnew.com there's like a little banner thing on top they can <coughs> click on. Is that the best way for people to go about getting tickets? They can do click it there. Um follow me on all things social media on Instagram. I'm at @joelbnew um and I have the link there in my bio. Perfect. Yeah, so yeah. it'd be great. People could go see it, and then we can see pictures, and hopefully you post more videos. I know you uh, have a number of yeah. videos on your webpage and all, so Twin, if you, if you go, which you should go, uh, send me videos. <laughs> please, please. It will be filmed, and it will be photographed, um, but it won't be the same as being there. So No, it never can, is. If you can be, if you're in the NYC area, if you're in the tri-state area, please come. Yes, it'll be, it'll be excellent. It'll be a very, very good time. <laughs> okay. Final question. You got any good twin yeah. stories or bad twin stories or anything like that? <laughs> oh, um, my twin story. It's cute. It's a cute twin story. Oh, so I didn't give that option. Um, so my sister and I are two year, two and a half years apart. Uh, we're very, very close. She's my little sister. Her name is Leah. She will oh. probably be listening. Hi, Leah. Excellent. And, <laughs> and she, um, so we've always been very close. And, um, one time in high school, we were shopping at Old Navy, as we do. We <laughs> love Old Navy. And uh, we both went into the dressing room in separate stalls. We're not that close. Um, we, were both <laughs> dress- we were both in the dressing room trying on outfits. And we were with our, we were with our mom. And, um, we, and so, like, we went out dressed. And, like, we showed her our outfits. And, like, this random person who was, like, watching all of this go on, she was like, she's like, are those your twins? They're gorgeous. <laughs> and so, um, so my sister and I, we always call each other our, our, our gorgeous twins. Very nice. Yeah. Like, so yes. The gorgeous twins. But two and a half years. Twins. Two and a half years. It was a very painful childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> your poor mom was we in labor for way ever. too long. Yeah, she's a thing. <laughs> Is yeah, that... that's my cute gorgeous twins is leah your your only sibling is just the two of you it's just the two of us yes nice yeah we have a younger brother who i'm pretty sure has not listened to anything 
but we bug him uh-huh. about it every time we see him. But then again, I think our parents have only listened to one episode, so it was, <laughs> it took me forever to even try to explain to them how to download a podcast or where to find a podcast. Oh, and then so my mom's like, well, I don't want to listen to it without your dad. And I'm like, yeah, but dad doesn't have radio in his car. When are you going to listen to a podcast? So they just haven't. <laughs> um, well, they're missing out. <laughs> I agree. Uh, but yeah, they know half the stories anyways, because we tell them or they were there for some of them. So <laughs> I guess it kind of works. Nice. Well, excellent. I think we got a bunch of, you know, uh, we're going to attach um, your Instagram and Facebook and webpage and stuff on the link um, awesome. and how to buy tickets because everybody should go see the show. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Um, your lineup is listed on the the ticket side and I, I'm terrible with names, but uh, you have lots of people and you put what shows they were <laughs> in afterwards. So I was like, Ooh, I know that show. That's good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lots of really cool people. You know, I mentioned Nika before who was on women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Um, Lauren Marcus, who uh, just closed Be More Chill off Broadway, which is transferring to Broadway um, in the new year. Nice. Um, tons of people. Travis Kent, who was in Disaster on Broadway. Um, uh, my friend C.K. Edwards. Uh, Richard Yoder, who was just in Hello, Dolly. Um, like a terrific group. I'm, you know, I, I feel bad listing names because I'm not going to list all of them. Um, That's okay. They're, they're they're all listed. They're we all, can. They're all fantastic, and they're all singing their faces off. Um, so come hear that. Yeah, it'll be a very exciting night. I'm sure. Yeah, not to be missed. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think we're uh, good for this podcast. Don't want to keep you up too late. I'm sure you have a lot of work to do before Saturday. <laughs> Get I mean, some sleep. I hydrate. I do. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Sleeping's good. Cindy forgets that sometimes. Uh, I usually encourage it a couple hours at least a night. Yeah, eating, New York does that. Eating a couple meals, drinking like water <laughs> and stuff, or coffee. You know, I know you're a fan yes. of coffee, so oh God, whichever you go coffee. for. <laughs> All the coffee. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to go through plenty of it in the next couple of days. <laughs> yes, yes. But I'm doing keto right now. It's like I'm not, I can't have any sugar, which means I'm not having the pumpkin spice lattes right now. I'm trying to resist. Heart. If you could if just I, if get I start through. now, then I'll keep drinking them. So if I just don't even taste them yet, then I'll hold off a little bit longer. It is a it is a it is a Pandora's box. Like once you get the flavor, thing, once you yeah. get the flavor, you, you don't you can't go back. See, so yeah, I'm okay. I'm in this now. Until we get to the like peppermint uh, mochas at Christmas time, and like the peppermint yes. white mocha. As soon as I start that, then like every day I'm like, okay, is it coffee time? That's that's the hard one. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's like it's a gateway. Like pumpkin spice is like a gateway to the peppermint mocha. <laughs> <laughs> then they get rid of everything and go. everyone goes on withdrawals for a little bit until we get used yeah. to the summer feelings. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon and see how the show yes. went afterwards. Oh, thank you, ladies. It was such a pleasure getting to talk to you and to talk about my process and and get to be a part of your show, which I think is a really exciting, cool project that is um, speaking to a whole sanction of theater um, and performing artists that uh, don't get a spotlight a lot. So um, I want to thank you for, for, for sharing the light. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> interview. We don't, we have never talked to anyone about creating the process like from where you are. 
But usually by the time we get stuff, it has music and stuff already there. So, excellent. Cool. Well, I'm happy happy to talk about it anytime. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you, guys. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0. Thank you.